0: Thanks for pressing play. On this episode of the Cannabis Curious Podcast, we talk to NJ Master Grower about cannabis cultivation and the future of cannabis legalization in the state of New Jersey. Thanks for listening.
1: Our Congress has decided to put it on the 2020 referendum, uh, which they've done before, and it passed by more than 50% in New Jersey, but um, they didn't legalize when it was done on. I think it was... 2018 or 2016. I don't remember exactly when. I think it was 2018. But there was a referendum not too long ago. And, um, you know, New Jersey voters made it clear that we did want to legalize and uh, tax the, you know, recreational marijuana. And um, Congress just decided to use their position, particularly um, Mr. Sweeney of Union County. Uh, He decided that he wanted to use that as a a bargaining chip um uh, with Phil Murphy and also with the Republicans in New Jersey. So I just think that um personally my feelings towards Sweeney are that like you know I I don't think that um cannabis is something that you should use as a bargaining chip because as we know, you know, there's just been a huge disparity in terms of um Uh, Black people to white people getting arrested for it. Um, You know, I think the arrest rate is six to one in New Jersey, uh, which is crazy. And so many of these arrests are nonviolent offenders, you know, sometimes misdemeanor amounts of cannabis, um, but then sometimes felony amounts of cannabis with no weapons or anything like that. In my opinion, even that should be um, expunged off of people's records. The only type of uh, record... That should be maintained are people who've been handling cannabis and who have weapons as well, because obviously that's uh, a different charge. Um, They weren't permitted to have the weapons, especially. But, you know, if they were permitted to have a weapon, uh, you know, and we're dealing with cannabis, then that's just a dangerous gray area you shouldn't have been in in the first place, you know. But um, New Jersey promised a lot, Phil Murphy promised a lot, and I I know that it's not his fault. He's really been trying to get cannabis legalized. but again, he's just been put in a corner time and time again. It's like uh, the Democrats here are very much mid-Democrat, if not basically Republicans. And it's not all throughout New Jersey, but uh, it's a lot of Democratic senators in New Jersey and representatives. So legalization, in my opinion, is going to come after 2020. Um, I was really confident, which is why I even made the uh, N.J. Master Grower page. Um, you know, federal law still prohibiting it. I had been teetering on making that page for years because it was just like, all right, well, I don't really know the landscape and I don't know, is somebody going to be watching? Are they going to be like, oh, you know, you're from New Jersey. Where did you do this? How did you do this? You know, you were underage when you did it, that kind of thing. But again, the first time I did it was not in the United States. Uh, It was north of the United States, it was in Canada. And the last two times were after the Initiative 71 passed and I was 21 for the last two grows. So, my experience has definitely been unique um I'm very young to be eight years into you know growing, but you know when it comes to actually growing, I really know my stuff i've seen so many varieties of plants and uh just what allows them to get as big as possible and it's a medium that holds on to a lot of oxygen um and one that you can water frequently. The more frequently you water, the more nutrients you can give to it and I also have this formula of. Worm castings, organic worm castings, and back guano. I mix those two together in an aerated compost tea, and it is the best thing ever. Aerated compost tea is just um, air stones at the bottom of a three-gallon or a five-gallon bucket filled up and then you mix in whatever nutrients you're going to mix in. For me, it's usually one to two tablespoons of back guano and one to two tablespoons of worm casting. Um, Mix that up, put in some air stones, leave it out for 24 hours to even up to a week, and use that to feed the plants. But yeah, um, in terms of cultivation, I've seen through flower two of them. And, oh man, the second one was growing in coco coir, and it was just so much better than the first one, even though the first one that I saw all the way through was more than a pound because I was growing it out for five months. Um, the second one, second grow is just so much better that I saw.
0: And what is cocoa choir?
1: Um, so cocoa choir is coconut husk, which is the, you know, outer part of coconuts. And that is ground up into not a fine powder, but, um, the next grade above fine powder. So it's actually maybe one or two grades above fine powder, but it's not powder itself. It's, uh, Like a soil, you know, it's very similar to soil. Um, Except when you get it, it comes in these uh, compact bricks a lot of times. Or you can get it um, prepared already. That's already got... I'm trying to think of the word. Let me just pull it up. It's right in front of me. Um, Perlite, that's what it's called. Perlite, perlite. So perlite is the... So perlite is... Something that you add to cocoa choir or any growing medium, really. And its purpose is to make it so that that medium can hold on to oxygen um, a lot better than it normally would. There's something called varamite and there's something called perlite. So vermite holds on to a little bit more water than oxygen, but its purpose is very similar. It's to add oxygen or uh, a product to your growing medium that holds on to oxygen. It's just that um perlite is for plants that don't appreciate wet wet environments, wet, wet growing mediums, such as cannabis. I mean, it does appreciate very wet ones, but if it's oversaturated with water, the perfect conditions uh are present for mold and fungus and mildew in nature. So you definitely want perlite in there because if you don't have it in there, there won't be enough oxygen getting to your roots. And oxygen getting to your roots is what allows the leaves to get huge and the plant overall to become huge because of that. Like if the leaves are huge, if your fan leaves are huge, then your plant will probably be huge as well. Um, I've, I, my second row, first one I saw all the way through, the leaves were about half the size of my hand, maybe a little bit more. Um, so I'd say something like, I don't know, six inches, five inches, something like that. Um, but the cocoa choir grow, the leaves were as big, if not bigger than my hands. So maybe like nine inches, 10 inches. And that's just going to give you a lot more room for the bud to expand upon. And the plant itself will be able to support, you know, um, Heavier buds, things of that nature.
0: So you, you alluded to the fact that you're kind of younger to have so much cultivation experience at this point in your life. So what, what was your sort of first experience with cannabis?
1: Um, that's a that's a great question. I did think you were going to ask a question like that. So I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I've never really talked about this with anyone except for like close friends. But my first experience with cannabis was, um, and uh, you know, hopefully no children get the chance to listen if they do i feel like um i feel like we're in a time where like people like me are out there up and down and left and right wherever i look you know people who started really early and there are even studies showing that um brain development is affected in a negative way when you start as early as i did for me it it hasn't affected my livelihood it hasn't affected in a negative way it hasn't in my opinion affected the development of my brain in a way that's you know highly detrimental or anything like that. In fact, it's really just helped a lot. Um, It's helped with chronic pain that I had in high school because of the sports that I played. But anyway, I started when I was going into my freshman year of high school, so from eighth grade to ninth grade summer. So that's like – I think I was 13 at the time. Um, But, yeah, I was pretty damn young, you know, going from 12 to 13, um, if not 13 at the time. So I was uh, quite young, but at the same time, it was just like – it made me think, wow, why does the D.A.R.E. program exist? You know, and it it also made me think, OK, so they lied about this or did they lie about other things? And I've had my um, experiments, so to speak, with other things. And weed is the only way to go for me. Um, I don't I barely like alcohol, you know, but um, cannabis is just so much more in terms of medicinal effects. It, it does so much more for you. It does a lot for your psychology. It does a lot for your you know, mental health, uh, when you're very, very stressed. And I, I definitely don't use it as a crutch. But I feel that if you're going to use either alcohol or cannabis, you know, after a long, long days of work, you know, go go for the cannabis. You know, The alcohol is bad for your liver. Um, and it's literally toxic and poison. You know, you wake up if you ever do wake up hungover, that sucks. You know, it, it's something that dehydrates you, whereas cannabis can just Really do the opposite. I mean, alcohol makes you, uh, what's the word, belligerent to a degree, you know, in a way. Maybe if you're just tipsy, it won't make you belligerent. It'll just make you feel nice. And that's cool, you know, but cannabis will just make you feel nice. So if you want to feel tipsy, just, you know, smoke a little bit of cannabis instead. Um, I think think that it's a much better alternative to a lot of things out there and I think it could also be used to help people who are addicted to stronger substances um help clean them off of it so to speak you know especially if it was legalized then at you know AA retreats or other kind of anonymous retreats people could have that worked into their program you know what I mean maybe that's done anyway but if it was legalized federally which I do think it will be definitely not under Trump um but, yeah, we, we need to get Trump out of here, too. That's another thing.
0: Amen to that. Um, so how, how did you go from, okay, I appreciate this plant and its medicinal and sometimes recreational benefits, and I'm questioning kind of some of the larger stories that I've been told about um, this substance and other substances, to I want to grow this plant, and I'm going to do that outside of the U.S.,
1: That's a, that's a great question. Um, so uh, Oz, I told you about him earlier. That's not his real name, but, uh, that's what I call him nickname. Anyway, he lives in Ontario. No, I just visited him, um, for like two different summers, but, um, so he's not really family, but he's family. He's close family friends with a good friend of mine. So, we were talking, and I was telling him that I had an interest in botany, and then I told him I had an interest in cannabis. And so this is going to sound really sketchy, but he told me, well, you know, it's legal in Canada. Uh, it's illegal to grow in Canada. If you want to come over this summer and, you know, try it out, you can. And he told me not to tell dad. He told me not to tell mom, and because he did meet them. He did know them. And uh, at this point, I told mom and dad what I did that summer. I told them like a year and a half ago, and uh, they spoke to him, but... They were kind of, they weren't mad as I thought they would be. They definitely would have been mad had I told them years and years ago. But by this time, I had already done my third grow. So they were just kind of like wondering, like, how do you know how to do this? You know, where did you do this? And that's when I told them, you know, Oz gave me the opportunity to do so um, at his ranch. And uh, they were just like, are you serious? Like when, how, when was this worked out? They thought I was at my friend's house the entire summer, my best friend, Jason. And I just wasn't. Instead of going to his house in Elizabeth, which is like thirty minute drive, I went all the way up to Toronto, or not Toronto, Ontario. Sorry. And uh, yeah, it was an experience that I don't want to talk about too much again because I don't know if you know going across international borders and doing something like that is like a serious thing. You know what I mean? And having been underage, I don't know if that was a serious thing. But that's when and where I did it. And um, if and when it becomes federally legal, I can get into like all the details, show certain pictures and things of that nature. But it's it's just the sensitive nature, you know, so helpful so helpful like without that opportunity it just would have been something that I would have had to wait a lot longer to get into and I wanted to get into it immediately because I just took I didn't even get into it as soon as I started smoking it took me a couple of years to like really get into it but um, when I learned you know you could really just grow this and the only reason that you can't grow it in America is because it's illegal I was like alright well where can I do this legally I was looking for legal spots to it anyway and uh, that's when I was given that opportunity just in a regular casual conversation telling him that I was interested because i knew that you know he had a lot of land and i was kind of prodding almost i was like yeah you know so i know this about it and that about it and he was like well why don't you come up this summer and i was like are you serious he was like yep I was like all right cool
0: so what was that summer like
1: uh, it was cool. I had my own little room. Um, I brought my 360 with me, and I was just playing Halo all the time uh, while tending to the girls. I grew in a Miracle Grow um, time re- nutrient release thing uh, setting medium, and so what that medium is is just soil mixed with uh, Miracle Grow that are in these pearls that burst open slowly over time as you water them more and more. So that was not good for the plant really, because after three months at the very bottom, the fan leaves started to get yellow, which meant that they were receiving far too many nutrients, suffering from nutrient toxicity. Um, But that's okay because like I said, I didn't see that one all the way uh, through to flower because Oz got nervous, I got nervous, and we were just like, all right, we should stop this. I've gotten enough experience, at least in terms of vegetative growth, understanding, like just seeing how it grew, seeing every single day. Oh, and it was only one, by the way. We had room for like a hundred, but we didn't want to, you know, take too big of a risk or anything like that. So I grew one, and it was a deep green, huge leaves, like bigger than my hand, bigger than the ones grown from an indoor cocoa choir plant. And it took three months to get three, no, not three feet, two and a half feet, maybe three feet tall. Um, it had one cola, so just one main branch right down the middle. And I hadn't trained it or anything like that. Training is when you pull a branch to the side so that light can be allowed onto lower branches. And then those lower branches become main branches basically. And then you have a much bigger plan, which will yield much more. But, um, so really it was just a fun, unique experience. Uh, sometimes we went fishing and, you know, Sometimes we went on hikes and stuff like that. But for the most part, I was playing video games and every day I would wake up, go outside. The first thing I would do after I washed up was take care of the girls. I would feed water only because she had the time release nutrients. Um, So I didn't get much nutrient uh, feeding experience there, but I did get, you know, you have to water it every day and you take care of it like you would any other plant. So the only I got a basic feel for it that summer, and then on my second grow was when I actually started adding nutrients and things of that nature my, myself. I used only worm castings along with Fox Farm soil, and it was definitely good enough for the grow, but it could have been a better grow. And that's where I got much more experience in terms of training my plants. I used low stress training, and I used a scrug. A scrug is called a screen of green, and that makes it so that you can put one cola to the corner and then. Three colas form. Then from there, you put those three to the corner, six form. And then from there, you know, two more may form, four may form, depending on how much stress you're putting on the plant, how far away you're pulling that main cola away from the center to allow more light to reach the bottom.
0: A cola? What's a cola?
1: So a cola, spelled C O L A, is just the. When you look at a Christmas tree, there's. One main branch, really, that holds all of the other branches. It's it's like the trunk, um, the stalk, and it's the part that sticks directly up. So usually if you want, if you're going for like weight, if you're going for a quantity, which you definitely might as well do anyway, because it's not going to negatively affect the quality of your plant, then you want to train your plant. You don't want to just put the seed in the ground and um, let it grow the way that it will. You could do that, but it would just be more effective to pull it to the side. Pull the cola to the side. So, yeah, the cola is basically the stalk. Just the, um, in botany, it's called the phallus, if you will.
0: <laughs> Got it. How did you learn as you were growing? Was it just through the act of growing? Were you researching or talking to people? What was your process?
1: That's a great question. Um, so, Oz had grown before, and he, I don't know how long he was growing in his life. He was. is at the time he was i think like 44 45 somewhere around there um so he definitely had a lot of experience in growing that's without a doubt because um he was telling me the kind of nutrients that i should be using he mentioned uh fish emulsion which is um fish boot um worm castings and i used google i did have internet while i was there so every day i'd be on google just studying 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 like okay how do plants grow why do they grow um can you? How do you add weight? You know, how do you add quality? How do you uh, make sure that they don't get sick? And growing cannabis is—it's just a, a wonderful thing because it's like it's like taking care of a baby, but you only have to take care of that baby for three to five months. So it's it's a good experience if you don't have kids yet, and you know it, you want to see what it would be like to have kids without the super headache that they you know, bring as well. So, um, it's it's a really great experience for maybe people who don't want to have kids but definitely want to have living things around them and tend to those living things. But uh to, back to the question. A lot of Google, a lot of YouTube, um, the weed tube came out not too long ago. I started using that too. Uh, because YouTube started taking down a lot of this cannabis content. So yeah, Google's been my best friend throughout this entire experience. Um, and I just feel like there's a, a very finite way. After all this time, there's there's one way of doing things to where you can push out the highest quantity while still getting very high quality. Now, the smell and the taste isn't going to be as good as it would if it's grown in soil. Um, but the amount you're getting and the fact that you're getting the same, if not a higher quality high, uh, some people will say, no, it's the same high as a soil-grown plant. But um, I disagree. It's, in my opinion, sometimes the same, sometimes higher uh, grown in coco Choir relative to, in contrast to soil. Soil is more flavorful, um, but in terms of the high itself, it's either equal to or less than coco choir. Some people will be like, no, you're crazy. It's definitely better than coca Coir, but i promise i'm telling you if you if you have a medium to pick from you've got hydroponic which coca Coir is a hydroponic growing medium it's just different from like a reservoir system that has uh, i've never set up a hydroponic system and they do allegedly grow your plant faster than anything else this is a hydroponic system like i said Uh, Growing in Cocoa Choir, it seems like it's a soil system or like not a hydroponic system, but it definitely is. Um, Because like I said, you're watering it at least once a day. Sometimes once the plant gets like really big, you're going to need to start watering it twice a day, which is crazy. Um, I use five gallon smart pots. You don't need anything bigger than that. Each five gallon smart pot can get you more than a pound plant, which is crazy. And like I said, the more frequently you're able to water, the quicker the plant can grow and the bigger it can grow. So, cocoa choir just blows soil out the water easily. It used to be a, a trash product, and then they found out that it could be used as a growing medium.
0: Is it used for other plants besides cannabis?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, There's cocoa choir and then there's cocoa fiber. So, cocoa fiber, sometimes you'll see that. Uh, with hanging plants. So something that hangs off of your balcony, it might have like a bunch of hay looking thing that are kind of knitted together. And sometimes, you know, people plant hanging plants from there. So it's definitely good for other plants as well. But I wouldn't recommend the Cocoa Fibers on cannabis, you want the cocoa choir because the cocoa fiber just doesn't have the structural dexterity to hold up the entire plant. So, but the cocoa choir does, because it's not as a uh airy as the cocoa fibers that are just knitted together. It's
0: like it holds the plant up better. It sounds like, I don't know, not that it's like dirt necessarily, but you can kind of like pack it in. and.
1: Exactly. Um, Another thing about cocoa choir is that you always have to keep it wet, make sure it never dries out. The reason being is if your cocoa choir does dry out around your um, root system, then it can form Sheath and a shield uh, around your roots. And if that happens, like if the cocoa choir dries out and hardens around your roots, then your roots will suffer from nutrient lockout because nutrients no longer be uh, absorbed by the roots because there's that hard cocoa choir shell now around your root system and that will kill your plants easily. So if you do use cocoa choir, you're going to want to be able to have it in an environment that you can. Keep moist, but you're always going to want to make sure that there's no puddles of water around. A smart pot on a grate, on an elevated, something like a boiler pan, you know, the thing that you put on the bottom of boilers to catch water. You just want to make sure that if you're going to have a puddle of water, that it's in your grow room for no longer than two days, because honestly, longer than a day is dangerous. Algae forms very quickly. So you just want to get those pools of water out of there quickly. But yeah, you keep that cocoa choir wet. You know, you keep it nice and hydrated, it's going to do wonders for your plant. Like, it's it's honestly crazy. The way that the, when I was doing my research, it wasn't stressed just how much better. Like, people were presenting it as, okay, there's pros and cons to soil, there's pros and cons to coir. there's pros and cons to hydroponic. But uh, when I tried soil, and then when I tried cocoa car, it it's just like, man, like, why would people rely on soil anymore? And I'm thinking about it, it's because there are so many farms. You know, there's so much land already out there with soil already in it. And it's just really not practical yet to expect every farmer to switch to cocoa choir. But I would advise that every farmer switch to Coco Choir without a doubt because soil just does not allow you to contain as much oxygen as Coco Choir does. Um because A, it holds onto water too well. Soil holds onto water too well. Cocoa choir will let go of it after a day or two. And B, there's not perlite or vermilite in soil naturally. Whereas you can add perlite or vermilite to your cocoa choir and put that in the ground or put that in a cocoa choir bed um so yeah it will it will make sure that your plants get the most amount of oxygen which will make it so that their fruit is just bigger than everything else so like i said coca choir is the truth it's the holy grail for growing people will realize that sooner or later um, especially big companies that are doing indoor growing operations like if if they're not on coca choir they are a step behind for sure the companies that they're competing against
0: that was going to be my next question. It sounds like Cocoa Choir is is the answer to a lot. It um, could be the answer to a lot for farmers and uh, cannabis cultivators.
1: Amen. Definitely. Um, I swear by it. I love it. It's also relatively inexpensive. Um, so I did the math on a growing operation to grow like 20 plants. And for an operation like that, it's between two and three grand. Um, but that's just the initial startup price. The resupply price for something like that is like 500
0: to $750. How does that compare to soil?
1: I can't compare the Cocoa Choir prices right now directly to the soil prices because I don't have. Uh, the soil prices on this calculation, but I can say that it is much more valuable to get the cocoa choir in an instance like this because even if the soil is a little bit cheaper, or even if it's a lot cheaper, the cocoa choir that yields twenty plants, which would be about forty bricks of cocoa choir, is only one hundred and sixty dollars. So to get twenty plants, to pay for the medium for twenty plants is one hundred and sixty dollars. That's definitely worth it. You know, whatever one sixty is, or 20 divided by 160 or the other way around. Definitely worth it because like I said, you're getting much bigger fruit, uh, much better plants and quantity is everything in the cannabis industry, especially when it comes to cultivation. So I also have this theory, something I wanted to talk about. Um, I think that plants should always be grown in hazmat environments. Uh, you know, the hazard hazardous material suits that people put on, they'll take a shower before they go into the hazmat environment, like a quick just shower, get the, all the chemicals and things of that nature off of them. And I say that because there's just mold spores and fungus everywhere, like everywhere. So if any of that mold or fungus gets onto your plant and your plant isn't very resistant to molds or funguses, then, you know, your plant could easily become infested with those things. Uh, Fusarium or, or, I'm sorry, Fusarium or Botrytis, that's a root rot and another type of mold mildew that kills cannabis and it's just that's that could all be avoided if cannabis was grown in hazmat environments so that's somewhere that i see the future of the cannabis industry moving toward um all their cultivators if they're not already are going to be mandated to you know put on hazmat suits before they go into their grow rooms things of that nature um but i'm sure it'll get hot in those suits so they're not going to be able to be in there for more than 15, 20 minutes at a time, which is another problem. There is definitely problems to be worked out in the industry, make it so that the quality and the safety of the cannabis that we smoke is as high as possible. Because if there is mold and or mold spores in your cannabis, not that you will get sick, but there are people who will get very sick. And those people are people with weakened immune systems, people who have natural allergies to mold fungus, sometimes like very, very old people. But again, that, that falls under a weakened immune system. That's where I want to grow every single plant from the re- from now on because I have gotten like a mold problem before. And I did everything right, but I did have one mistake. What I did was I watered the morning of, and this is in a soil medium, I watered the plant. And then I let the lights stay on for the rest of the day. And then I turned the lights off and then I left them in the dark for like three days. And allegedly what that was supposed to do was stack on the amount of THC crystals on the plant. And it did. However, when I went to harvest the plant, there was mold at the uh, the very core of it. So the lesson that that taught me that I want to share with anybody possibly listening to this right now is do not take that advice of watering your plant and then leaving it at, on the last day of watering. Do not water your plant and leave it in the dark for three days because you, you got to make sure your medium is completely dry before harvest because if not, then you will mold your plant, and that's the whole process out the window. You definitely don't want to serve moldy um, cannabis to any customer.
0: Oh, that's good advice. I'm sure there's many people who grow currently or are interested in growing that uh, will take that advice to heart.
1: Because they'll notice too. They'll just be like, ugh.
0: So with the lar- the licensed market now, how there's, you know, sort of licensed cultivators um, and growing either in facilities or outdoors, how do things work in California with respect to the hazmat suits and some of the kind of quality or safety standards?
1: The thing is, I am, I don't have the license myself. I am licensed because I was hired by a grower a master grower who does have the license himself and so i can say that i am a licensed grower because i've been hired by a licensed grower but how does that work in his facility well first of all he has an outdoor facility that has a greenhouse and he has 99 plants no hazmat suits are required you have to wash your hands make sure those plants stay alive. Otherwise, you're fired and you're not getting hired again. I got hired this year uh, by a friend of Oz. Like I said, I can't talk about the company that hired me or anything like that. But yeah, in in the industry right now, there are no standards in terms of, oh, at least for where I work, which is actually a pretty big company. Um, we don't have to wear hazmat suits or anything like that. They, pre- they make you take the minimum, but they do make you wash your hands and make sure that the environment's clean. So the cannabis is most likely not going to be that dense densely populated with mold spores or mold itself. But the possibility is still there and like I said mold is everywhere. So, all of the cannabis that we're smoking from dispensaries and things of that nature until there's like hazmat regulations, there will be mold and mold spores in that cannabis. I mean, you get it from the best dispensaries in California, like unless it's grown in that hazmat environment, there is undoubtedly mold and or mold spores in that cannabis. The regulations need to be made much better. But in terms of like violence in the area in California in the in the mountains in those areas that, you know, we do do licensed growing, violence is down ex- like an incredible amount. It was down before i even got there. And I was kind of worried because I watched this documentary and it it was just about Humboldt County and I forgot what the name of the documentary was exactly, but it was on Netflix and it was just talking about how like there were bandits, there are raiders, there are people who, you know, go there and cause trouble. People go missing up there. And I was in Pacer County, which I, which just so much better than Humboldt County, but that whole area has been getting a lot better in terms of, uh, cannabis growth and just safety. You know, since there's been awareness brought to that area, there has been a higher police presence. So The government at this point is looking to protect those of us who are following the law and who are licensed and or working with licensed growers, and they are working to shut down people who are not licensed. And there are plenty of unlicensed grow operations in Pacer County and um, Humboldt
0: County. Yeah, I've been reading in the news about California just in general having a very strong underground market when it comes to kind of all aspects, even unlicensed uh, dispensaries.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, it's really hard for the police to do their job as it is. It's been hard for them to do their job since 70s, 80s, when it came to, um, you know, finding cannabis operations and shutting them down because every time they would shut one down, five more pop up, that kind of thing. The government does not have good grips on the uh, industry and the the illegal part of it, and they're never going to get a good grip on it. So they just might as well legalize it and um, then try and regulate it as best they can. But just this whole keeping it fully outlawed, they have seen that it doesn't work. And they also have seen that now that it's regulated, it works a lot more smoothly. You know, they can keep account of how much is being grown. And it, it really is just a smoother process. Like we are on the path to full legalization, I believe. Uh, maybe not by 2020, like I said, if Trump is reelected. But if he's not reelected, there's a good chance of federal legalization. Things are looking up definitely in California. Things are looking up in Washington state. Haven't been to Colorado. Love to go. Things are looking up in Washington, D.C. in terms of like the laws moving, you know, just exactly where we want them to be. We want the rest of the United States to emulate Colorado, Washington state and Washington, D.C., California. Those are my four favorite places to Talk about uh, because their legality is uh, very wide-reaching and broad. We definitely need that in New Jersey, without a doubt, throughout the country.
0: Say more about that.
1: Um, the fact that the fact that <sighs> like in the Twitter post, uh, I was saying, you know, homegrown being outlawed in New Jersey relative to. Um, in DC, you can grow up to six per 21 year old adult in the house, up to four 21 year old adults, I believe it is. That might that number might be, um, up to two 21 year old adults, so 12 in total, but it might also be 24. I just have to go back and check an issue with 71 and stuff. But that's what I'm talking about. In New Jersey, our government is trying to make it so that, first of all, they're going to try and tax cannabis at 12 starting off, it might be twelve point five percent. Um, and then they're going to try to work over a period of a few years up to twenty-five percent tax. That's ridiculous, you know. So if you're buying an ounce for or not an ounce of an eighth or a quarter, let's say a quarter for like seventy dollars, you know, twenty-five percent tax on seventy dollars, that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? That's that's crazy. If you're buying an ounce, let's say for what Anywhere between 100 to 200 dollars. 25% of that is 25 to 50 extra dollars on top of that. Every time you buy an ounce, that's not cool. You know, there's a bunch of people who cannot afford such a tax, but who do deserve the same access to legal cannabis as, say, somebody who easily could afford something like that. There are people who are born into money who will never work a day in their life, and they'll be able to buy and buy and buy and just be high all the time be, contribute zero to society whereas you know there's that hard-working uh, mother or father of however many who deserve the same right and opportunity yet they can't afford to because their job doesn't allot them the opportunity or the luxury to be able to afford the tax that new Jersey's trying to place on cannabis and the tax would be fine if they allowed home grow but they don't want to allow hunger You know, that's very mafiosa. That's very um, mobbish. You know, we're, we're taking all the money. You know, we produce the goods and you buy from us or you don't buy at all. You know, you, you source from us, or you don't get it at all. That's so wrong. It's wrong to to just hear it. You know, so it's just exclusionary to people who may not have the money to visit doctors that'll prescribe the medical marijuana. You know, they may not, their insurance may not cover such a visit or such a prescription or you know, things of that nature. So it would just be if you're going to legalize it recreationally, you should full table legalize it and not just okay, we're legalizing it so that we can make money and nothing else. No, this is not for the people. It's for New Jersey and that's not okay.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think any state that's legalizing that doesn't have home grow, it's just not considered legalization in my mind anymore. I completely agree. You've been sort of in cannabis for a while. You were involved even before you know states were legalizing at such a clip and even before Canada went with national. Uh, recreational legalization. We talked a little earlier in the conversation about arrest rates and how, you know, African Americans are six to one more likely to be arrested and convicted than white people when it comes to cannabis, even though the use rates are the same across populations. So what do you sort of make as you see legalization happening and some of these measures that are putting into place that can restrict or limit access to the product itself, cannabis, as well as the business licenses, the economic kind of opportunity to have a role in the industry.
1: Um, Okay. So in New Jersey, if you want access to a license, you need a minimum and this was the last time I checked, which was maybe two months ago, three months ago. But you need a minimum of $200,000 just to get your foot in the door. That is an application process, I believe, or an application fee, Um, or not, not just the fee itself. But I don't know exactly where I read this, but this was like NJ Canna Business, you know, the official place where you go to get your licensing for any type if you want to be a cultivator if you you can do that if you want to be a distributor you can do that or if you want to be um i forgot what the third one was but basically you can only be one you can't be all three you can't be two out of the three you know you're one of these things so hang on let me just uh, look it up so i can give you an exact number of licenses but yeah uh the costs are so high that um it's uh, it's gonna end up Uh, keeping a lot of people of color out of the industry. However, there are a lot of people in New Jersey's Congress, I'll say right now, that are working to ensure that that doesn't happen. And I'm definitely incredibly grateful for those representatives. I couldn't tell you their names, but they are working to make sure that people of color aren't excluded and uh, they're making it just, you know, they're making it fair. And I definitely have to commend them on their efforts to look out for people who can't afford $200,000 for a license or for a a location or, you know, anything like that. But, yeah, let me look that up real quick. Licenses for Cannabis, New Jersey. So I'm just going to read something really quick to... um, wrap our minds around the topic a little bit better. This is from an article uh, at app.com. New Jersey marijuana legalization, how to get a marijuana license in a cutthroat weed market. So this was produced February 8th, 2018. A location is necessary, a place to sell weed with a landlord who allows it and a town that won't stop. Experience selling the drug would be preferred even though it remains illegal under federal law. Applicants should have a perfect criminal and financial background and investors to bankroll the whole thing. And even then, uh, one expert put the odds of receiving one of New Jersey's golden tickets as high as 15 to 1. Nonetheless, it'll be a feeding frenzy. So New Jersey is primed to be among the toughest regulators in the country with a reported 80 licenses to divvy up. Uh, Less than a quarter of the 350 licenses that cannabis operations expert Brian Staffa believes are required to ensure the Garden State's fledgling, fledgling marijuana market doesn't fall flat. So 80 licenses for the entire tri-state area and like i said they they're making it super expensive i don't see how this is inclusive i mean i do have a cannabis business myself uh but we sell cbd i haven't talked about that at all yet our company name is hemp not trees and we sell cbd to people who need it people who uh you know suffer from epilepsy particularly but we do have other customers who suffer from other things but yeah we don't call them clients or anything like that we let them know you know we don't have doctorates not certified in any type of uh medical capacity but we do know that cbd has these effects and you can read up on it on our website and you like what you read then order from us we'll you know, deal, discount. your first. If there's anybody listening and like to try some CBD, you can go to our website and I don't have a code or anything to put in to give you right now, but you can send us an email. Our email is at the bottom of the website and uh, say, hey, listen, I listened to your podcast on Cannabis Curious and I was wondering if I could get 50% off and we'll give it to you.
0: Give the website one more time.
1: Hempnottrees.co. But yeah, the point New Jersey is just making it uh, incredibly hard. You have to have money and you need to have your own investors. You need to have a location and you need to have something worked out with the town saying that, yeah, we want this in our town. So uh, there's, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. And right now, if you haven't been jumping through those hoops thus far, you're not, there's almost no chance you're going to get um, a license. Not to say that you can't come in and if you have the money, the support from the town and a location to do so, that that's, those are the three things you need to Get in. like if you don't have investors you have to have your own nest egg somewhere because it will be expensive there's just so much they want to make sure that you have the money necessary to not run into any problems and tie them up so i do understand from that perspective why they want people who are going to be qualified or contenders for these licenses to have so much money i understand in that regard so i just want to see that after these markets are established i I want to see equality in the industry that's my biggest thing um but besides that and and I, i'm confident you know uh, like i said there's a lot of people making sure that that's going to happen and there are so many people that are not going to stop yelling until they get a job in the industry you know what i mean like they will protest and they will fight tooth and nail until they get that job and until representation just overall in the industry is more equal you know there are um I was reading this article the other day on Twitter, and it was like, meet America's youngest CEO in the cannabis industry, um, shaking things up. And it was this girl who was like 18 or something like that. You know, there's still people in jail for cannabis. So it's just like, man, I'm like, what are we teaching our kids? Like, is it cool? Is it good or not? It's too many mixed signals and messages, and that cannot be good for the youth today. Like, either they need one or the other, because sitting on the fence is really dangerous. It makes them think, okay, well, you know, they were wrong about marijuana, right? So they must be wrong about e-cig or um, jewels, you know, or other things. And it's just like, no, those things, while they're not as bad as cigarettes, they're still not good for you. You know, they're still over time, probably going to be detrimental getting you hooked on something that you weren't hooked on before. You know what I mean? And not to say that jewels are like horrible or anything like that. But I mean, I just feel like if you're not already addicted to nicotine, then there's no point in becoming addicted to nicotine. Like those are made for people to, wean off of cigarettes. Yeah. You know, just the government and the government's stance on illicit substances is just needs to change, especially when it comes to cannabis. Without a doubt. we could do better. We could do better for our kids. I mean, I was, like I said, I was very young, and it was just like, all right, well, this doesn't seem that bad. Like, I guess I was curious, you know, cannabis curious, and uh, uh-huh. tried, yeah, <laughs> tried it out and um, liked it, and yeah, it was, from there it's just like, wow, like this is. I can't believe this is illegal. You know, I became an advocate right then and there. I was just like, man, like there's no reason. But then when I did my research, I found out that it was outlawed because the hemp industry was threatening the paper mill industry and uh, particularly politicians and people in power, especially in the paper mill industry, couldn't have hemp threatening their money, their source of money. So they lobbied against it. And they won. You know how lobbying works in United States.
0: <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise. It all goes back to money and corporate corporations having relationships with politicians.
1: Exactly hopefully we can get money out of politics
0: i hope so i really hope so i think it's gonna be a key to turning uh us around and creating an economy and a society that's more people driven right now it's it's corporations over people
1: exactly i couldn't agree more citizens united was a huge mistake for congress to pass i mean yeah. just like geez guys really and then to be upheld by the supreme court it's like wow okay i know we gotta do something about this
0: i think we're all starting to realize it more as a society. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I see more and more in the news about how corporations are controlling things behind the scenes when it comes to any industry. So I feel like it's more part of the general conversation, which it makes me hopeful. Um, but we still have a long ways to go.
1: Yeah, we do. Feels like uh, we're just starting. And it, it, I don't know. It feels like we're always just starting, but I do see the progress that we've made um, as a country and as a people. And I do feel like things are a lot better now than they were 25, 50 years ago. A lot of people don't feel like things are um, better, but they are different ways, you know, things get better and things get worse. You know what I mean? One problem gets solved and then another one gets People like you and I, you know, in the cannabis industry and spreading awareness and um, just starting a dialogue, like what you're doing is very necessary and like one of the pinnacles of making sure that this does become legal, you know, public opinion is so important. People's uh, opinions and understanding on this exact subject and topic is just so important. If you asked me a year ago or two years ago, you know, would I even have a Twitter or anything like saying like, yeah, you know, NJ Master Grower, I'd look at you like you were crazy. You know, I'd, <laughs> absolutely not. But um, this this is just great. What you're doing is really commendable and admirable. And I very much appreciate, you know, your channel. And like I said, I'm keeping up with it.
0: Well, thank you. I really, really appreciate that. It's the same for me. I never thought I'd be having like social media handles with cannabis in the name. Like, I'm even posting about it on my personal Facebook. Like, hi, friends, please follow me on Cannabis Curious. And I'm like, never did I ever think I would feel so like compelled and passionate just to kind of be out there about it, just authentic. Here's the industry. Let's have a conversation. Let's try to work through some misconceptions that are out there or confusion. And give people a platform for a voice, especially, I think, people who are more in like the entrepreneurial, smaller to medium-sized kind of business side of things. Because I do see so much money coming into the industry and uh, a select few are controlling such a big piece of the kind of cannabis supply chain. I have questions though. Like I, I don't know yet, and I know I don't know as much about the the plant, but I don't know yet if some of these grows are gonna be able to grow at the scale that they are saying they can. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I'm
1: sorry, could you like go into a little more detail?
0: Yeah. So when I look at like some of the cultivators here, even in Michigan, or like a canopy growth where they have multiple facilities, hundreds of thousands of square feet, you know know, are licensed to grow anywhere from 2,000 to 10,000 plants, let's say, do you think there's going to be challenges with growing at that scale?
1: Hmm. Um. That is a great question. So in order for me to accurately answer a question like that, I just need the, um, I need to see the kind of demand that different markets are going to be putting on these growers on Canopy Growth Company and on AFRIA or AFRIA. But I did see in the news recently, I, I'm, maybe it was like last october yeah it was like october 2018 uh cgc canopy um they merged with or they didn't merge with they sold a large amount of their stock to consolation and consolation are the producers of corona and modelo the beers. so they've got connections huge connections in mexico and all over the world they've got contracts with um Hotels and companies, like I said, all over the world. So their market reach has definitely expanded. CGC, their price jumped up when they merged with Constellation. Constellation's price dropped down. However, CGC's dropped. I mean, uh, jumped up a lot. I think that with the help of a giant like Constellation, beverages or it's Constellation beverages or a Constellation holding firm. But with a giant like them, they they got like a billion dollars in that deal or a few billion dollars in that deal the number is over a billion dollars maybe it's just the company's value constellations value itself and i don't know the value of cgc yet but i do remember their incredible stock growth and um it's really just been phenomenal they were one of the first companies to just skyrocket as i don't know if you know but yeah they skyrocketed when they had their ipo there's a lot of people competing right now so are they going to meet the demand of the market if they don't meet the demand of the market then the black markets that we talked about earlier definitely will. But they're very capable and they're going to impress a lot of people in my opinion. You know, money is king in our capitalist society nowadays. And they've got the space, they've got the money, they've got the facilities. I think they'll be able to pull it off. I I would be very surprised if there was just a, oh, you know, dispensaries have run out of cannabis in you know, Canada, uh, the ones that when federal legalization is allowed, then CGC can come over here and, you know, get into liquor stores and things of that nature. I don't know what kind of work C Canopy does in the United States, but I do know that, you know, they're on the stock market. Um, but yeah, that's the most that I know about their involvement in the United States, but in the Canada's market, I believe they're doing very well. Do you know about any shortages or have you heard about any shortages or anything like that? Something I might not know about.
0: I haven't heard about any shortages specifically. I do pay attention to canopy growth, and I know this last quarter they had some kind of like disappointing sort of earnings numbers. They had higher losses than were expected. And some of that they blamed on production, like being able to produce at scale and just using all of their warehouse space, like fully utilizing it um, to grow but I haven't heard of supply shortages yet because of the inability to grow at scale it's more even here in Michigan we kind of struggle with this is getting enough of those licensed cultivators licensed and then getting them up and like running getting them through like a harvest and, and getting it moving and that's like more in my mind probably a bureaucratic issue like the government just isn't moving fast enough and probably isn't really thinking through the whole harvesting process when they're defining regulations and reviewing applications and things. Um, So in Michigan, they've had to sort of supplement the licensed cultivator supply with the caregivers, um, which they recently put a stop to, well, sort of a stop to. But the thinking, right, is over time, then these licensed cultivators will be able to supply the demand. I just wonder if like a plant like cannabis can be grown in the thousands or hundreds of thousands, sort of like at a consistent distance consistent and at quality and the answer you know maybe yes right like farmers do it with a number of different kind of commodities it's just a question mark in my mind and it might come more from like me not having that much cannabis cultivation knowledge you know barely any i learned a lot from you today so it's something i I guess i'm paying attention to as i look at cannabis legalization in the u.s and in other countries amen
1: i was looking at cgc and they're gonna be around for a very long time they did have that uh Horrible recent order, but yeah, they're just too well invested in uh, Wall Street loves CGC. It's like basically the Google versus Bing argument or um, what, what are some, some big competitors like Apple Music versus Spotify, that kind of thing. Like uh, they are in the top. Um, the ones that I can say for sure are not going anywhere. Maybe not Afria or Afria. I don't even know how to pronounce their name properly. I think they're not going anywhere as well. But it's just like um, Marlboro, you know, or Camel. You know, they just got their foot in immediately. They got a major amount of support because they had a great team of business uh, managers and people who really knew what they were doing, working together to make it so that they can get these licenses, get these facilities and things of that nature. So it's going to be, in my opinion, it's going to be not flawless, but up and running and unstoppable after five or 10 years. Um, if they go through too much turmoil and if cannabis isn't legalized in the next, you know, few years, maybe five years, that's when I could say, okay, um, maybe CGC isn't going to do that well in the United States or around the world, but they do still have Canada's medicinal market and the international medicinal market because people can, you know, come from all over the world just to go get some cannabis in Canada. I don't know if people are going to do all that, but yeah, they're always going to have Canada's market. So they're going to be around for a long time and. That's such a great question. Are they going to be able to grow hundreds of thousands? You know what I mean? Like, it is a great question. It Especially in Canada, you know, it's not hot all the time up there. Um, so they're going to have to build some huge greenhouse facilities, which they have definitely been doing. They're going to pull through, but it's not necessarily going to be like a, I wouldn't tell you to go buy CGC stock right now, or if stock right now. Things are not looking good on the stock market as far as I'm concerned. In On April 25th, the uh, Dow peaked, and then... It did re peak again, but like yesterday, the day before, it was up at its highest again, but then it started dropping. It's just looking like momentum is slowing down. Um, and we're pretty late in, in, you know, Trump's. Tenure so far. So, and there's, you know, just things coming out like this uh, trade war with China. European Union's not doing that well in their financial markets. They're under earning, under their reports are not that good. The Federal Reserve in the United States, I don't remember if increased or decreased the rate. Um, But I believe there was speculation that he was going to decrease the rate. So yeah, things just aren't looking good for the United States economy as far as, that's just my opinion. You know, everybody has their own opinion about it, but I definitely wouldn't buy right now and I would just wait to uh, sell and or short sell stocks. But yeah, CGC is not going anywhere. They definitely will be the most capable to produce. And yeah, I think that they're not going to be shortages, but I could be wrong just because they've they've poured so much money, as you know, and they anticipate this market to be, I think it was like a few hundred million dollars so far. And it's going to be in a few years, like billions of dollars, you know, billions and then 10 billion, 20 billion, that kind of thing. Like the exponential growth, this is just like the dot com you know what I mean? Things just keep on growing exponentially like crazy.
0: They do. It's mind boggling.
1: It is mind boggling. Like the fact that these industries can grow at the rate that they do, um, the fact that inflation works the way that it did, that a million dollars a hundred years ago would have been like 50 million dollars in today's money that kind of thing it's pretty insane
0: it is i feel like we hear the billions a lot more than millions now too i feel like there was a point in my life when companies were worth hundreds of millions and now it's regularly billions and 20 billions and it's it's like a whole another stratosphere of money what do you think that What do you think the industry will look like for small to medium sized businesses in five to ten years, assuming marijuana is legalized federally?
1: So, kind of like there are mom and pop stores that still succeed when there are uh, dollar stores and there are Krogers or Krauser's and uh, just convenience stores like that, like huge markets. There are huge businesses, yet mom and pop stores are still surviving for small. Business, medium-sized business in the cannabis industry in five to ten years, I think it's going to be similar to that, where if they are sticking around, it's because they found a niche, um, they found a tight-knit community, or they found enough support in one corner of a community or the other that is kind of been looked over because businesses are going to make mistakes, especially at first. They're not going to be able to supply um, every single location and every single group of people, populace of people with the opportunity to easily get cannabis. So once the industries are nice and rooted, then small businesses will get there or as the industries begin or as the businesses begin to take root, small businesses like my own. And a bunch of other small businesses in this industry are able to meet the people that we meet, interact with who we interact with, you know, expand their knowledge and allow them and have them expand our knowledge. You know, we're always open to learn about cannabis. You know, we know that there hasn't been like an infinite amount of research on cannabis, Um, nowhere near that at all. And we want to still keep our minds open for the duration of our lifetime so that we can learn as much as possible pros and cons of cannabis. Uh, I think it's important to just allow for the United States and for scientists and chemists to do their research and really report. Um, So I'm excited to, by the end of my lifetime and by the time I get older, to learn all the things that we hadn't had the opportunity to learn about cannabis because it's been outlawed for so long. The small and medium-sized businesses in five to 10 years, they will be present as long as they've got atmosphere, they've got personality, they're serving a part of community that was overlooked and underserved. Uh, there are going to be opportunities for cannabis business, even small business and medium-sized business, um, if you look at the blind spots of the you know big companies. So it's going to look good. It's going to be homely. It's going to be quaint, I think.
0: I like it. I like that vision. That's good to hear. Yeah, definitely. What are you hoping to see happen in New Jersey over, let's say, the next two to four years through the next maybe presidential election um
1: so i have been to be as frank as possible i mean i have been exhausted by politics i used to be so heavily involved with politics Uh, i was up to date on like the latest bills and um, just who's running and who's doing what but then 2016 happened i saw the build up i saw you know when he came down the escalator and i'm just like man they're giving him way too much TV time. Like every time I turn on a TV, he's on the TV. So it's just like oh, man. So after that happened, after he was actually elected, then I was um just like, all right, I, I don't wanna do this anymore. <laughs> so I stopped paying attention to politics for the most part. Um but I do have a game plan and so my life is just really unique because like I said, I got that investment this year, so I got the opportunity to start both of my dream jobs. Um, one, when I got hired by the licensed grower in California and I've been over there one time since then, I did a look over and told them the kind of stuff that we would need for the summer. Um, I still may be going over there by the end of the summer to start a grow, uh, but then I would have to like really solidify those plans still. And I'm still thinking about whether I'm going to do that or not. But um, in the meantime, I have been trading and my plan is just to trade until it becomes a little. If home grows become legal, then great, you know, I can do home grows and gift that because in DC, you're allowed to gift cannabis. So I would just um, do home grows. And then whenever, you know, somebody would buy something from hemp, not trees, we would give them a gift of cannabis just for the appreciated business, so long as that's legal, you know. If New Jersey does follow Initiative 71 model, not that it will, not that I expect it to, but in the chance that it does, because it's not necessarily an off chance. I mean, if we lobby against Representative Sweeney or a Senator Sweeney, and uh, if we put enough pressure on him, then he'll have no choice but to legalize home Grove. I have yet to start putting pressure on him. I definitely want to put pressure on him. And I definitely want to encourage New Jerseyans to put pressure on him, uh, to reach out to him. Uh, People from union definitely need to reach out to him and tell them like, listen, you know, like (laughs) you got to stop preventing these bills, these marijuana legalization bills from passing in New Jersey. And if you don't, we're just going to replace you. It's as simple as that. I know that one policy shouldn't determine whether or not someone gets replaced, but at the same time, it's just been too long that this has been outlawed. And it's outlawed in the interests of companies. Like I said, paper mill companies. There's just so much opportunity. Like hemp has 50,000 plus uses. All these companies know that. And a lot of them have been working to transition, go into those industries. Like I'm sure that the paper mill industry and the big players in that industry started investing in hemp as an alternative to start producing their papers as soon as they got the opportunity and the go ahead for yeah, I can't tell you that with like like as in, oh yeah, this company went and did that, but they're companies. You know, they they've got people way ahead of the ball. So um yeah, it was outlawed then because all they had probably was the ability to afford their farms and their forests and their deforestation processes and things of that nature. But over time, they gained money. They were able to buy some land. And now they're like, all right, cool. We got enough money. You can legalize it now. (sighs) So it's unfortunate that that happened. However, it will be legal soon. And as soon as it is legal, I'm going to start growing in New Jersey. But until then, I'm just going to have to go to DC because I do have a friend down there and uh, we have grown down there before and he would let me come back and grow, you know, just because I wanted to, all I would have to do was honestly, he wouldn't even for, ask me to pay rent. He wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, no, he's just great. He's uh one of my best friends and uh, he was living with me for a while and uh, we just go way back. I would go down there if I didn't go to California this summer, uh, because I definitely need to get a grow in by the end of this year. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it. And I want to make sure that my growing ability just stays top notch. Yeah, I just love growing too. You know, I love com- making the aerated compost teas, just taking care of them. Like I said, it's just so much work. It really is like having a kid without the headache.
0: It sounds like you live a good life. Thank you. Well, shout out to mom and dad for growing with you and trusting you and supporting you. That's that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be where I was at right now if not for my parents. Um, I am a 23-year-old still living with mom and dad, you know. Um, so, thank God for them. And thank God for their openness. They haven't always been so open to accept what I I have been about because i've been about this since high school and they were really worried about me back then like all right you know he's just the typical you know pothead teenager and it's just like no mom no dad like I'm I'm trying to make it in this industry like look at the potential in this industry like now is the time like I cannot wait if I wait until I'm older it just I just can't do it but yeah like I said they were not fully aware of my activities while I was in high school it was after I got back from college that I started like really talking to them about it
0: Heck yeah good mom and dad
1: thank you I am so grateful I appreciate that and they would too and they will when they look that's that's a good thing. A segue to how, I know that you're doing the questions and things of that nature, but I want to ask you, how do you think adults should address cannabis when it comes to talking to teenagers and or children? I mean, that's such a hard call. Like for me, I've just been thinking like, if I had a kid right now, it's time. What would, I, what would I say to them? Like, how how do I talk about that conversation is a hard one. I guess it's like the birds and the bees.
0: I would probably try to provide as much information that I had and then access to other information and let my kid kind of decide for them what their perspective is. But I would definitely want my kids to understand the history, like some of how, how it became illegal and some of the propaganda ran against cannabis and how the government started to treat it and why. And I definitely think the medicinal aspect is important for people to realize that there is a true... Medicinal aspect. And there's more and more studies and research coming out to confirm this. And to your point, we don't even know everything about the plant. So there's likely even more medicinal applications that we don't even know about today. But I guess recreationally, to me, for my kids, anything that you do for fun or do as a way to let go or let loose, I think you have like the potential to escape into or abuse anything. And so it would just be about like making sure that my kids feel like equipped and happy to manage their emotions and and be in life and feel strong and empowered and then I think I would trust them and then whatever relationship they had with cannabis from there I would try to trust I think it'd be hard for me if I had like a teenage kid smoking weed I would be like there would be something in me honestly that would feel like oh no but I think I'd have to check that in myself and be like why do you think that you know, and reflect on me and my experience with cannabis and when did I start smoking and who am I as a person? And I don't believe that cannabis has done anything to negatively impact myself, my personality, my goals, my ambitions, how I treat other people. That's
1: a great answer and a great response.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. It's a good question. It's something I'll definitely have to think about. There will be kids someday. And obviously I'm I'm hoping to have some, you know, role in the cannabis industry. So it's probably going to be something that will be widely talked about in our home, you know, um, which will be a completely different experience for our kids versus like how we grew up with D.A.R.E.
1: Yeah, exactly. Reefer Madness and all that.
0: Times are a change in.
1: Yeah, they are. That's, um. I feel like, I don't know the legality behind even talking, but I feel like, you know, talking can be like maybe one of these days, you know, once it's, like, federally legal, I guess it would be hard to get a, an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old onto the podcast. Or, I don't know. Maybe you could do, like, a video interview and do a couple takes. But, um, yeah, I want to hear what the youth have to say about it. What are their opinions? How do they feel about it? How do they feel about it? In, in that age range? I mean, I don't know. Alcohol is different from cannabis. And I feel like in that age range, you could definitely much better handle cannabis than you can alcohol. No, I understand why they raised the ringing age from eighteen to one, but Canada's age eventually needs to be lowered to eight, maybe even lower than that. I mean, like I said, it's it's something up for debate, it's something up for discussion, but we're nowhere near a session of the yet.
0: We'll get- I think that's fair. I think it's an interesting. I, I like your idea, though, especially about like going to youth and asking sort of what's your opinion and experience with cannabis, because it's got to be so different from ours. They're witnessing the legalization of it and it being more readily accepted and people using it around them and. We thought it was like criminal and if we smoked weed, we were going to be doing heroin like the next weekend, you know, is how we were raised. Exactly. It's a great question and a great idea. So that's definitely something that I will put a pin in and consider, especially as uh, federal legalization becomes more of a reality. You're right. I think that would make that conversation a little easier to have.
1: Yeah, definitely a hard one to have.
0: (laughs) I really appreciate the conversation we had today. I, I mean, I learned so much from you and I'm sure that others will too. So
1: I very much appreciate that. And you are the first person that I'll communicate when I have a major breakthrough in the cannabis industry. You
0: know, I'd love to keep in touch and see where how your how your life sort of unfolds in the cannabis industry.
1: Yeah, no, actually, this this is a great set of questions. It was great talking to you. And I did learn a lot as well. Yeah, I'm very grateful that you reached out.
0: Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I'm here. I'm here. So I will keep tabs on you on the social medias. You know how we do now in this technology generation.
1: You know, you let me know if I can do anything to help you when I do start reaching out and do become more um, useful in the cannabis industry. I mean, I the most that I could do right now is like come teach you. But like I said, as legalization moves forward, there are going to be more things that I can do. You know, I'm getting my hands really into the legalization market. But after it's legalized in the future, like I I made the account, I'm like, all right, it's going to be legal and it's still not legal yet, you know what I mean? But it will.
0: It will. It'll get there. And honestly, even without legalization, you're already so useful in the industry.
1: Amen. Appreciate it, Ashley.
0: Thank you for taking the time and have a wonderful day. My
1: pleasure. You as well. Thank you.
0: And that's a wrap on another episode of the Cannabis Curious Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more, please check out NJ Master Grower on Twitter at NJ Master Grower.